All right, settlers, we are back. Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome to our new settlers, especially. We got a nice uptick in Spotify followers this week, thanks to some skillful social maneuvering on Al's part. Yeah, shout out our social team. This episode needs to be at least three and a half hours, right? That's what we're aiming for. Everybody yeah, strapped I mean, in. The st- standard's going to be about three and a half, and then director's cut, we're talking like maybe four and a half-ish. Reason Al is is cracking jokes today. We got the Scorsese epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. Settling with Scorsese. <laughs> nice. Uh, that one. Nice. First to it. Well done. <laughs> well done. We I think this might be our first this... Scorsese. We'll have to have the archivist check, but this first might be our first Scorsese. Scorsese. It had to be you, Ev. It had to be you. It's only fitting, and I'm kind of surprised it's our first one, too. I delayed this one for a while. I, I didn't have four hours to carve out to hit the theaters until I decided to rip it this past weekend, Sunday, 10 a.m., only to discover from Kai that it was released on Apple TV about two days later. I Googled I Googled the movie to find the showtimes, and I saw the news article. said it was arriving on streaming that day, and I was like, wow, how can I do this? Um, it wasn't quite, quite Tom Cruise-level... Thank you for coming to the theater hype, but Martin does make an appearance to thank he does you personally. A, he does an intro. You know what? Yeah. That's it. I'm going to go do another three and a half tomorrow <laughs> just, just to see the right Martin now. intro. If you haven't seen The Settlers, I will also advocate for in theaters. It's where Scorsese wants it to be seen, just like it's where Nolan wanted his epic to be seen. Um, so if you can, respect the theater. Go see it. You get his little special intro treat at the beginning. This movie is based on a book by David Gran. I read it back in 2019, and I personally think it's one of the best true crime stories ever written. Subtle flex. Um, subtle, subtle, subtle flex. flex. Yeah. Subtle flex. It's been sitting it's on true. the shelf for about five years now. I, I read it like five months ago, so I'll take yes. that. <laughs> nice. This book covers a lot of what's in the movie, but also delves a little bit deeper into the birth of the FBI. What, no? I'm at that. The Federal Bureau of Investigation. Mm, I never heard of it. You ain't familiar with that around these here. parts? Yeah. Ain't, ain't familiar. <laughs> you must have sent someone up to DC to don't talk to them. <laughs> I did enjoy uh, Jesse Plemons. Fantastic. What's interesting is that the though the book isn't told from his perspective, it's almost told from his perspective. Like the book is much more of like an investigative thriller. You don't know who's doing the murders and he is introduced and you settle into his perspective for a good chunk of it. So it was funny to see him come in so late. My buddy, Charlie, who I watched the movie with, his first take was who are we rooting for here? Until Plemons arrived, you kind of couldn't really settle in with anybody. There was nobody really get behind initially. A hundred percent. And Al, you beat me to it. One of the biggest differences in the storytelling is Scorsese choosing to highlight our villains. One very smart, one pretty dumb. The choice from Scorsese at the beginning is really to get you used to what's going on before a solution is offered to kind of build the menace of what they're doing um, so that you feel hopeless, like probably a lot of the Osage felt hopeless before a solution is offered and to show what it took to just get someone to care about what was going on. Because this is the 1920s and in Oklahoma, it's pretty lawless. If you need help with something, you go to your local authorities who, in this case, are just fully in Hale's pocket. 
another fun fact on this framing, the initial script that Scorsese wrote was from the same perspective as the book. And Leo was supposed to play white. Leo was supposed to play Jesse Plemons role. When they got into it, they were like, it's not advocating enough for the Osage. It's not making us really understand how horrific this stuff is. And so they flipped it. They literally flipped the script. As Al said, it's only fitting that I take this one on. I've been a Scorsese fanboy since I started watching movies pretty seriously. Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, The Irishman, The Departed. Those Scorsese's are just an top top five right there, you know? (laughs) You can't even tell. You can't even tell. might, Might as well be the same. So for today's draft, I task the two of you, Cowboys, with lassoing the top three Scorsese films in your repertoires. I'm going to judge. Okay. I got a one or Mm. a two out of frame. Okay. I'll go one. It's one. Nice. I get to take first. Take your first pick. That's easy. I'm going departed. I know you're Boston's boy. I have a little bit tops and all that. I like that one. Yeah. I'm not a cop. (laughs) I got to come clean and saying that I've never actually seen it, which is going to be a crime against humanity or a crime against Ed. But I feel like Goodfellas has got to be my first pick. This movie felt more like Goodfellas, I think, than any other Scorsese I've watched. I will snake. Uh, I'm going to take The Last Waltz, which is the documentary that he did about the band's final performance. I feel like he has a lifelong side hustle as a rock documentarian, and that certainly mm. ties in with the episode. So I'm taking the last. Yeah, it does. Al. You're, you're pulling out F strings here. Maybe Robbie's strings. We'll get into that later. <laughs> and now this is a choice here. Do I go for Ev's heart or now nah, I'm going to stick true to myself. I'm going to go with the Wolf of Wall Street as mine too. And then I loop back, right? I feel like I know that Ev would love The Irishman for me to go with that, but I'm going to go with kind of Rogue One here that I liked. Silence, Adam Driver, mm. uh, set in the uh, like feudal age Japan, these Christian missionaries. I think I watched it on a plane once. Really good. It's great. And I'm going to go Taxi Driver just to kind mm. of bring us full circle. This I feel like hard. Al hasn't seen any of these. He just took the one he wanted. It wasn't his top. I heard the sheriff favors honesty above all else. You also opted for ones that are like a decade old, like two decades old, so that Ev would obviously go for those. I'm going to go with Kyle on this. It might be my first draft win. Just saying. There's a first for everything. Get the archivist to mark it on the leaderboard. So Al's pick of the last waltz. That's bringing us kind of directly into our composer for this one. Um, Because that's a movie about the last concert that the band infamously put on that Scorsese made a doc about, as you said, Al. Robbie Robertson who's the composer on this one, R.I.P. He was the founding guitarist and songwriter for the band up until about 1978. Before that, lead guitarist for Bob Dylan. He's number 59 on Rolling Stones, greatest guitarist of all time. I think I got a new entry for the composer-director playoff bracket here because Robbie Mm. and Martin, Robbie and Marty, I should say. It goes by Marty. Um, Marty (laughs) Scorsese. Marty, Robbie and Marty. I've done a bunch of films together leading up to this. Raging Bull, absolute classic with Al Pacino. Casino, Gangs of New York. I'm kind of surprised none of you mentioned that in the draft, but absolutely huge. Wolf of Wall Street, they did Silence together. They did The Irishman. 
and then killers as well. These are some heavy hitting collaborators that have worked together and, and know each other's style and pretty well. Does Scorsese just run around with Robbie Robertson and the other 59 best guitarists ahead of him? How's he plugged into this whole whole thing? Just between the docks and this, it seems like he's in the crew. A lot of it has to do with the making of The Last Waltz. Raging Bull came out in 1980, I think. So that was his first one after leaving the band. He has a lot of other projects. We could do a three and a half hour episode on Robbie Robertson alone. It's fitting that this would be his final film. Robertson died in August of this past year, and the film's actually dedicated to him. He is of First Nation descent. His mother is Cayuga and Mohawk, and he was raised on the Six Nations of the Grand River Reserve near Toronto. Him and Scorsese had a lot of discussions ahead of time. He kind of gave Robertson the direction of use your heritage, use your experiences on the reservation. There's tribal elements kind of worked into the blues rock style of the score. They mix perfectly and they give a really good contrast between the white folk in the town who are trying to murder and disenfranchise the Osage and the Osage culture and their kind of heritage and traditions that are held up throughout the film. The first time that signature kind of like blues rock sound really hit is when the train rolled in. Leo's hopping off and it's this literal auditory and physical just assault on their land and their town. It's just this like barrage of people and sounds and chaos coming in. A great choice to just let that kind of drown out culture since that's what you're really seeing happen on screen. Robertson talked about making the score for this film and referencing memories of all of his relatives sitting around with their instruments. One guy would start a rhythm and then somebody would just kind of add on and they would build on these layers. And it often created this sort of haunting sound, this like humming and droning. There is this sort of inevitability of what's going to happen that permeates all the music. It, it feels mischievous and malevolent as it kind of builds over time, as the layers stack on top of each other. The pacing of the movie would have suffered dramatically without this score. I felt like a lot of the time when we were getting some of these like shorter cutscenes, maybe something that they were like up to in the background, a, a setup or whatever, like you got, you had that humdrum nodding you along. And then some of the longer like dialogue scenes, they kind of cut it out entirely. A few silences, golden moments in there for you, Kai. He also obviously wanted to make sure this was authentic as possible. All the tribes have different musical styles. So he went to set, visited with Osage musicians to ensure kind of the authenticity of it. Scorsese, as you can probably imagine, doesn't do temp tracks. Not a temp tracks guy. A first draft was finished by the time that filming had wrapped, which is pretty rare to have something already fleshed out before the movie's even been cut. But he got in early on this. He's building the music, you know, as they're literally filming it. So I feel like we should probably listen here. Which one are we going with? It was a really hard choice between heartbeat theme and they don't live long, but we're going to go heartbeat theme. Three, two, one.
All right. Get some one words. Damn, that's good. It's a banger. It's a banger. I'm going to go with, um, just off the cuff, I'm going to go with Doom. It's foreboding for me. Nice. I'm momentum. Let's kick it off with Doom, Kai. There's something about this song that reminds me of a line by King. I brought them into the great 20th century. Like they remember who built the hospitals and all this. It just feels like this impending progress that nobody can really stop. That is just like slowly, but surely like occupying the space and, and taking over the land and like taking over the music and your ears. It's unavoidable. It's just coming destruction. Doom. Set me up, Kai. It's, I'm right there with you. I, I go foreboding because, yeah, I think the the drum beat and the bass just lay down this kind of like unstoppable force vibe that is that that is the, the foundation for all of this. And it feels like we just have this dance on top of like flute v harmonica, which feels very obviously Osage versus everyone that's coming in to to take over. And the beat of the drums just feels like it's swelling and that flute is so frail it can't possibly withstand the combo of that and the harmonica so there's just this like impending sense of foreboding and sense of doom as you said wow you guys knocked it out of the park well, that's what uh, happens when you decide to actually your, your hat to the episode <laughs> of when you don when you don the appropriate uh formal wear for the evening momentum we're sort of moving towards something that is inevitably violent pretty dastardly there's that menace underscoring it the steady progress of hale's plans and with the layers i think about the different folks that he's sort of pulling in with his tentacles the doctors who are prescribing medicine that makes the osage sicker the corrupt cops just how he's slowly involving everyone who's not osage in the town to defraud them and, and take their wealth in the end guy your, your quote when we think about it he frames it as altruism right like i brought all this to them like they had nothing before i was here and look at the progress we've made but there's an underlying maliciousness. He just uses it to disguise his motives. The theme comes back multiple times as a pacing vehicle throughout the film to kind of hint to you at those moments where the dastardly stuff is being planned and when something untowardly is about to happen to one of the Osage. The title for the song is Heartbeat Theme slash Neukonska, which means people of the middle waters. The junction of the Missouri, Mississippi, Ohio, Tennessee, Wabash, Arkansas, and Illinois drainage systems, that's where they took their name from. Giving it that title too, I think Robertson's very intentional. He is essentially writing a song that is the theme of the people themselves. He's naming it after them. That feeling of, we have this beautiful land, we have all these natural resources available to us, and we've lived on it so peacefully for so long, but there is something seeping into the water so to speak slowly infecting the land taking it away from us taking away our wealth i couldn't help but think throughout most of the movie i don't know 200 years prior what the osage people were like and but love a good period piece applaud you for oh, yeah. bringing one to me here but capturing like a moment in history when a culture is so sort of on the ropes i think they paint the, the race riots really well the Tulsa riots as like mm -hmm. a backdrop to this for us to kind of understand that part of the motivation here is money part of it is that these people are so horrible they don't even see the Osage as human beings 
right. whole idea of like needing a sponsor to get their money and, and all of that. The kind of unique factor here is that the Osage at one point, right before this happened, were the wealthiest people per capita in the world. And you see that in them sort of adopting Western attire and they have the fancy cars and they're all decked out in furs. They are embracing their wealth in the way that they've kind of been forced to, which is the Western way, because that's what they're seeing happening around them. At the same time, the blood is in the water and the sharks are circling. It came to me on the, the poison in the water, that whole metaphor. I kind of felt like the diabetes too was sort of representing like you've started consuming the white culture. The doctor says it at one point, and of course, that's nothing like we would say today, but there is some reality to your diet changing after hundreds of years of evolution, eating one thing to change into something else and it poisoning you, um, much like the rest of the culture was. And then realizing the Osage have this problem with diabetes because of their new diet, their bodies aren't used to it, doubling down on that and being like, we're going to give them shots of insulin that are just way too much for what they should have to make them even sicker and make it worse. This facade of caring showing up at the bedsides of these Osage as they're dying. And there's a really powerful scene when Lily Gladstone's character is like on the verge of death in her bed and Hale comes to visit her and she asks him, are you a ghost? Are you a dream? It's like the angel of death. He's there visiting her in her final moments to kind of usher her out. I think the one thing that kind of brought me in on earnest was, was some of his emotion and affection actually love. I think the beauty and complexity of his character is that he's caught in this scheme that his uncle has put together and he might start to feel those genuine feelings. And I think that's why in the end he flips and he's like, I'm not condemning myself to this. I'm willing to testify and try to make some of this right for what I've done. The benefit of having the movie be so long is that I feel like it's such a gradual descent for him. One moment he's just driving around in the car, the next they've got kids and he's poisoning her daily, giving her these shots. That gradual descent, I feel like did a lot to emphasize some of those moments where like the realization hits him like in the jail and obviously just brilliantly acted by Leo. Do we think Leo's certainly a nomination for best actor. Is it a lock? I don't know if it's a lock. It's been a good year for movies. I think best director. I think Lily Gladstone might get nominated for best actress. De Niro might be best supporting. It's Oscar worthy performances across the board. And you got someone like Scorsese at the helm and you got Robbie Robertson on the axe. It's not really going to fail. Throw something about the instruments of. Instrumental yeah. instrument for this one. Um, the harmonica, which... Al has been known to go off on these in his own performances. One of the cool things about the use of the harmonica in this one is that you may not pick up on it as actually being the harmonica at certain times. Uh, Robertson met a world-renowned urban jazz harmonicist named Frederick Yonet at a party. Just your average world-renowned urban jazz harmonicist. The parties always have urban jazz harmonicists. They met at a house party and they started working on The Irishman a few months later. Robertson and Scorsese reached out to him. They wanted the harmonica to be the sound of a Grim Reaper-like figure in the movie, a cue that like death is coming. So he worked on The Irishman and nailed it for that. So they brought him back for Killers. And they said, for this one, we want it to be greed. We want the harmonica to literally be the embodiment of greed. And as we heard in Heartbeat theme, the plucking bass in the background, the drums steady with that harmonica coming in, kind of drips of greed, woeful and sorrowful at times too, like an embodiment of the pain. We do have a notable mention here though too, the banjo, which you'll hear throughout it. Historically, a, an instrument that 
took a central place in Black American music before kind of entering into the mainstream in the 19th century. They actually used a couple 1890s and 1920s banjos from the American Banjo Museum in the film. The, oh, the, the ABM? ABM? The ABM, yeah. Where is the ABM? What's <laughs> in Oklahoma oh City? Makes sense. Oklahoma City, there you go. There you go. Downtown, um, Bricktown. Yeah. Shout out in your settlers from Oklahoma City that have been to the Banjo Museum. If you go, snap a pic, tag us, at Settling the Score, throw some hashtags in there. First, first settler to take a selfie of the ABMs coming on the pod. Yeah. yeah maybe maybe a score of your choice. Since we're talking about instruments, let's hit the musical term while we're at it. We got minor pentatonic scale for this one. It's a musical scale with five notes per octave in contrast to heptatonic, which has seven notes per octave. The scale is pretty popular for improvisational music. Doesn't have a lot of sharp dissonances or tritones. And so much of this music in the score feels improvisational, right? It, it feels like a group of Osage musicians sitting around a fire, slowly building a song together. As I was reading about this, it made me think about Robbie's process, visualizing his relatives sitting around and slowly building that song across a melody from drums to bass to banjo. Al, I know as a resident music expert, I don't know if you got anything more on that. I think the only thing I'll add is that minor pentatonic is basically a light version of the blues scale. You're just adding in a couple notes when you kind of upgrade to the blues scale. So not surprised to see it so present here with the harmonica and blues rock focus. Well, Settlers, it certainly hasn't been three and a half hours, but we've covered a fair amount of ground here. We could talk about this movie probably for three and a half hours if we wanted to. There's a lot to unpack, but I think it's time. I'm happy to go first. Kick us off, Ed. I'm going to go 9-4 for this. I do think it's this sort of masterful combination of Robertson's experience, where he grew up, the people that he knew as a First Nation native, and also being this preeminent blues guitarist. It really feels like this acknowledgement of what the Osage dealt with, but it's also a celebration of them. It's hard to capture that in a film like this because there's so much death and there's so much sadness that being able to paint the vibrant landscape of emotion is pretty difficult to do when it's so heavy. It's almost a reminder that the Osage, like even though they've been sort of beaten, battered, terrified, and ground down, they still stand firm in their beliefs and they're still a strong people despite all these horrible things that have happened to them. It also does a really good job of shifting when it follows Hale and even Ernest at certain points. There's more sort of Americanized big band numbers, a lot of jazz instrumentals that would be indicative of white music and white culture in the 1920s like that, especially in the cities. So there's a really nice contrast between the more native sounds and the sounds of the shift into a modern age and how that music was so different from tribal music and Osage music in particular. 9-4 for me. I can go next. I was, I was a little up and down on this one, but I did find myself during my intermission that Apple TV Plus afforded me humming as I went to the fridge to make myself a snack. So clearly it stuck with me. I don't know if I'm really humming much of it walking out of my living room. But at the same time, when I think about that song that we just listened to, I don't even know where I would start to like try to put something like that together. And I think that's what's so impressive about it to me. It feels a little improvised, which goes with the whole blues thing. I think it's just kind of a marvel. I'm going to go 9-4 right with Ev. I'm kind of high on this right now after the listen. Don't really know what else to say. It's powerful. 
it's really a work of art. I think I'm going to come in pretty similar. Go 9-2. If nothing else, just want to acknowledge what a testament it is to their working relationship. Testament it is to Robbie Robertson's career and for him to be able to have this be his last score. I don't know if this was the last piece of music that he ever wrote or released, but carries a real weight to it. I give massive credit as well to like the improvisational nature of this. The dialogue and the script are so dense in this whole thing that it is not easy to sit alongside that. And I think it does it pretty flawlessly. If Robbie nice. Robertson didn't crush it as a composer, he easily could have had a future as a offensive coordinator in the NFL. You gotta think Robbie Robertson's got something up his sleeve here, Kai. <laughs> I have to say, in diving into this, it's just given me new appreciation for Scorsese as a man of the musicians. And that was reaffirmed right at the end of the film when I recognized a pretty wild cameo. Oh, yeah. It's one of a long list of musical cameos. Jack White as one of the, the hosts of the radio show. Not to mention Sturgill Simpson was Henry Grammer, Pete Yorn. Jason Isbell, and then this legendary harmonica player, Charles Musselwhite, like brief cameos, which just has to make me think that Scorsese has this long list of legendary musicians that he's like, I got to work with them in some way. Thanks for pushing us All to right. go see it, Ev. It was a real treat. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Anytime you assemble a cast of this many stars, we're talking Leo, De Niro, Plemons, Gladstone, far more than five stars in this movie. Settlers, if you've made it this far, just head on up to the ratings. Give us a couple stars. We'll take five if you got some extras. I wish we all had little sheriff stars, Scott. We can Ooh, just pull out right now. Bit. That's good. Damn. Next Western. Next Western. Go see it, Settlers. It's still in theaters. Watch it on Apple TV. If you can't get out to see it, take a break if you got to. If you need the break, take the break. But until next time, settle on. Settle on. Settle on.